Looking for a way to level up your coaching and win more? Get better fast with GMS Plus. GMS Plus is your on-demand source for the best, most proven volleyball courses, drills, stats, videos, tips, and much more. Learn from some of the game's winningest coaches and players, including Heather Olmsted, Keegan Cook, John Spraw, Mike Wall, and Courtney Thompson. I've learned a great deal from Gold Medal Squared, as have many of our guests. Whether you're trying to win a state championship or an Olympic gold medal, GMS Plus will help you get there. And we have a Coach Your Brains Out code for listeners. To get 20% off an annual subscription, go to goldmedalsquared.com slash CYBO and enter the code CYBO. That's goldmedalsquared.com slash CYBO. Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out, the show that explores learning from the top minds in volleyball and beyond. With your hosts, John Mayer, Billy Allen, Andrew Fuller, and Nils Nielsen. What about the just playing kind of devil's advocate, the coach who says, well, they're never going to learn that double crossover move on their own. And if we don't teach it to them and isolated, you know, they won't have it. And then eventually they'll learn when to apply it or how to use it. So how would you go back at that? I would say that there are ways to encourage behavior without showing an athlete how to do it. So you you could simply like if I was maybe defending this person or having someone defend them, or if I was, you know, if it was a one-on-one situation, if you overplay them, right? If you overplay them to their left hand, they're probably going to cross it over. Right. Maybe, maybe you can show them, prescribe them when they're first starting learning how to dribble a basketball, but you they're probably going to cross cross over, right? Maybe you then overplay them again. They're probably going to do it again. And so I think there are ways to highlight and encourage behavior to make it more of an obvious choice for that athlete. You know, I think a, a lot of coaches will will just have them practice it a few times and then expect them to do it. But if you haven't put them in a situation where that is a relevant choice for them to make, it it, it doesn't really help. Uh, examples are great. So I'll give you one more example too. So I just started doing uh, jujitsu, right? I've been wanting to do it for a while. I literally just started doing it. And then we're working on like setups and, and different techniques where you can grab someone's wrist or grab someone's neck. And of course, we're doing it initially in a very prescribed way, like kind of a part to whole type of manner. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking like, how am I actually, do? how do I know which one to use? Like, how do I know when to grab the wrist versus grab that, you know? And so that didn't really, it hasn't helped me yet, right? That hasn't transferred yet because I still don't know how to actually set that up. I know how to, how to, um, what the move is, but I don't know how to get there. And yeah. I think that's where coaches, they focus on the move, but they don't focus on the athlete's, you know, journey or decision to actually utilize that move. Yeah. You're preparing someone for more of a dance routine or a, a ballet versus a interacting back and forth competition. Exactly. And, and it's in that example, again, it's like that person is basically a, a dummy, right? They're not right. actually giving me resistance. So I, I, I don't know how to do do this move yet, even though I know how to do it. Right. So mm-hmm. it's the same thing. If, if you have someone in, in flag football, if you don't, or basketball, if you don't know how someone's playing you, if that affor- affordance to, to utilize that move doesn't appear, then you're not going to go, no one to utilize it in the game setting. Right. Right. Cool. Well, we wanted to move on to, and, and you, you referenced it a little bit in the first part with uh, this idea of representative design, uh, but especially wanted to go, cause I, I feel like I see it, um, where we're, especially in volleyball, sometimes the furthest away from representative design when it comes to strength and conditioning uh, for volleyball athletes. I think there's a long, 
probably history and influence from other sports. <laughs> uh, maybe football comes to mind. And, and obviously, mm-hmm. it's a very, very different uh, sort of uh, activity and different athlete that we want to develop. And I know we talked about your, your gym, Ignite, in, uh, in Arizona. You work with volleyball athletes. So I thought it'd be really cool to go through kind of what you do using this ecological lens and uh, yeah, how, you, how you've worked with them. So, so first, just when you have someone new come to you, what's, what's the first step or how do you begin the process? You know, because traditionally it's, hey, we've got this program uh, you know, let's, let's go to work, but I'm sure you do it a little different. Yeah. I I think part of that, part of the ecological approach, which I really speaks to me, I think is really understanding an athlete centered approach and understanding who your athletes are, uh, and and understanding the reality that we might have a program in mind, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that program is going to work for everybody. So we, as a coach have to be very flexible. Mm -hmm. We think about volleyball and I'm pretty sure this is, this is, um, the way it is everywhere, but I mean, they have such a long competitive season on the high school level, Mm -hmm. club and school. So we factor that heavily into our our thought process. So for me, I have to understand where they're at in their competitive cycle, understanding that their season, you know, in Arizona, for example, um, the AIA state championship was Friday. And I'm pretty sure, you know, Saturday at club trial to the next week. (laughs) Uh, it's not stop. So I have to understand that whether I like it or not, that's the reality. So I think the first thing for me is understanding where that athlete is in their development. And then that way we have a program, but then we have the flexibility as coaches to, to modify it. You know, you understand their lived history, you understand their goals. So that's always a big part of our valuation, probably even more so than watching them move and, and jump and all that, and all that kind of thing. Hmm. For us, the real difference after that is going to start in the warm up. And so our warm up looks totally different than probably any place or most places that you're going to see. We're not doing your typical, you know, typical warm up activities or drills or things like that. We're trying to make that athlete or allow that athlete to explore various ranges of motion. I can kind of get a lot of information from that, various degrees of freedom, if you will, in that warm up. So it might look something like um, we're doing some sort of, if you've ever seen the Edo Portal stuff where they're avoiding. Uh, PVC pipe, right? Their their partners would be here. They're avoiding a PVC pipe. And I'm kind of watching how they're moving. If I know an athlete struggles at certain ranges of motion, then okay, well, then they might struggle during cer- certain things in the, in our in our strength training. So that's like would be an example. We do some other stuff that's that's um, in, involves them interacting with a partner as well. So that's like the first places where they'll start to see the difference. And it's like an ongoing assessment, right? You're watching them in that. You're seeing how they are that day. And you're seeing what type of mover they are that day. So that way you can adjust the, the programming going into that session. Since you you brought up kind of the beginning, the first steps, something I, I still see that persists and I, I don't know enough, but people will push to me. Um, I mean, I think people will use the word activation more often, but I still see like stretching, maybe even static stretching uh, before or even after. What's your understanding of the value of uh, stretching? Yeah, that's that's kind of a there's a decent amount of discourse on the value of of stretching right now with um like how much time to spend on it. You know, you see these these stretching like gyms or, or services where people will come and they'll you, you'll, you'll they'll stretch out your hamstrings or whatever. Um, but I mean, for for my thought process is that I have 60 minutes with them. They come in a little bit early, 70 minutes. We'll do some of that stuff prior to the session maybe like little injury prevention stuff, like little, um, you know, 
foot, you know, exercises, single leg balance exercise. We'll do that in the beginning, but we don't spend too much time on it. I also find that with youth athletes, if you ask them to stretch, particularly on their own, just doing that, that exercise, it's not likely that they're going to be doing it with the intent that you want them to. So I find a lot of the times that the value is hit or miss. So we try to incorporate some range of motion drills, exercises in our actual warm-up. For example, like that same stick stick uh, PVC pipe, we might do a PVC pipe drop where they're catching it at a really low range of motion, right? At the end of the day, right, that's what we want. We want them to improve their range of motion or to access that range of motion. So we just do it. We try to do it in a way that's going to get more out of the athlete. It's more fun. It's a little bit more exciting. Um, so, so that's kind of where I, I stand on stretches. They do have some value. I'm not saying they don't, but it's just really a hit or miss type thing with, with our yeah. population. So yeah. it's, you know, you got to pick your spot, especially with limited time. Uh, that was interesting also that you mentioned wanting to know more about the person and their history. I think of, uh, I don't know. I think of a strength coach is just like anatomy and here's the, you know, that's probably not fair, but, uh, what, what are you doing to get to know more about the, you know, the, right. The organism's part of the, part of the triangle, but it sounds like you're, thinking about the whole person, not just uh, the body. Yeah, I think the the it starts with that initial conversation about like where they're at in, in their process, their goals. I mean, that's like the first thing. I mean, you think about as a high school athlete, for example, like the amount of pressure that they have, like, are you committed or uncommitted? Do you have uh, colleges that are reaching out to you? Like how much playing time did you get? Did you get not just to know like what type of athlete they are, but where their psychology is at? There's mm. so much pressure now mm -hmm. on athletes via social media and other outside influences. So we want to know what that is because that's also going to determine like how, how say how hard we coach, but how we interact with that athlete. You watch them as they come into the gym. If you see the athletes come into the gym and they're laughing, they're giggling, they're having a good time. They're probably in a good mood, right? I need to maybe uh, understand that if I don't see that, maybe it's not going to be the best start for mm -hmm. them. So I'm just picking up on cues there, how they're, how they're interacting with each other how their, their posture is, what their language is like. And then we'll even give them the choice. Like we have, uh, okay, the, the program says um, we're doing a back squat. All right. Well, I know that that athlete has maybe a history of, of uh, some, some lumbar spine issues, or maybe, you know, they just not a fan of back squats. I don't really care that much how they do it. It's a similar movement if they, to me, if they do a back squat, a front squat, a safety squat, a belt squat, it doesn't really matter to me. So I'll ask them like, Hey, so what, what do you feel like? what are you thinking for today? Oh, you know what? I, I, I just, I feel like I want a belt squat. I don't really care personally. So I'll give them a, a choice from time to time as well mm -hmm. so that they feel a little bit more involved in the process mm -hmm. so that they can pick what's best for them. They know, they know themselves better than I'll ever will, you know, know them. That's great. Some co-design making Carl Woods proud. Um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, the buckets we've kind of boiled it down to with, uh, from the strength coaches I've worked with, you could tell me if we're wrong, but kind of simplifying it, you know, the, the most important skills in volleyball, we want to jump higher, we want to hit harder, and we want to move better. Um, so so if that that seems on track, maybe if we could start with jump higher, what are some of the, the things you found, some of the exercises that that help athletes not just jump higher, but like we talked about in the first part, that it transfers to me killing more balls? Yeah, I think that the tricky part about the jumping higher is, is the volume that they have in mm -hmm. volleyball mm -hmm. like that th that's the hardest part and that's where i think coaches make a lot of mistakes is they program a session and it's like 
say it's a total of 50 jumps or something like that. Like, and they just had practice yesterday. If they're an outside hitter or a middle, they're going to be jumping a lot more. Maybe that workout's okay for a libero or a setter. So we have to understand the volume. So that, that's, that's a tricky part. I, I do think that like the best, absolute best exercise you can probably do to improve your approach jump is probably to do an approach jump. <laughs> and so I don't think there's any way to 100% get to that. But things that we've noticed, um, I'm a big fan of like a, like a trap bar deadlift. I'm a big fan of doing various types of plyometrics from different angles. So for example, if we were doing like a depth drop, which is where you fall off of a box and stick the landing, we try to do it from various positions, right? Where they're not always landing in a perfect position. A, because they're not always going to land in the perfect position. And B, I want to have more variability within that program. Um, th there's some more research now about the benefits of variability and reducing uh, markers for ACL injuries. They did the study in soccer players, which I can send to you if you want. And more variable training reduced markers for ACL injuries, which is a big thing because for us, understanding the career of volleyball players, it's not just about what, what gains we're going to make and improve your jump. It's about can we keep them healthier longer uh, so that they gradually improve their jump. So, um, but we'll do a lot of the same stuff that people do depth jumps. Um, we'll do, we'll do some, sometimes where like a high point, we try to get them to high point a ball. So if someone passes them the ball, they have to time their jump towards the ball, which mm -hmm. I think and catch it at a ties point or tap it at a ties point, which I think transfers probably a little bit better to, yeah. to hitting than just jumping randomly. Mm -hmm. That's great. What about, um, Another idea to help with the volume, do you think doing stuff on a softer surface, you know, changing the environment, you know, the, the low hanging fruit for us would be on sand or does that still, I don't know, bring a lot of, uh, I don't know, load and fatigue. We do, we do that. We change the, like, you know, I think most people misuse like, like boxes for box jumps. We don't really use them for like an ego, uh, post me on Instagram, Twitter boost. We use them to just decrease and dampen landing forces. Right. So that, that that's where we use them a lot. I, I think changing surfaces is, is great. Uh, just, I think, I think in general, just changing, changing your exercises more often than you'd probably like is probably good, a good thing considering that volleyball is so, uh, it, it's so uh, year round and that a lot of kids now have been playing only one sport since like nine, 10 years old. So I think the more that you can do that, the better. So we do utilize, you know, varying services for sure. Sorry. One more on that. Then are you, I also think of strength training. It's like a, Oh, we got a six week program. Are you, you know, you talked about the value of variability and the adaptability and, and helping with ACL. Are you changing the like week to week or how often are you changing programs or is that just variability within the exercises in the program? We'll do it uh, a lot within the exercise within the program. Like one mm -hmm. of the things we do right now is a, um, it's like an ownership goblet squat. So they'll hold the, the goblet or hold the, the weight and they have 12 reps, but they're encouraged almost in like a differential learning approach to a different squat base every time. And that here's what you might be able to do. Here's what you could do, but we're not going to tell you exactly how to do it. So we do it a lot um, within the session. Um, we'll do it um, like in our, for example, we're doing depth jumps right now. We'll just encourage them to say, hey, this set, I want you to land in a different spot every time um, would be some of the ways we do it. We do it again. We get get that in their warm up. Um, we do a lot of like partner med ball exercises. So if they toss a ball to a partner, um, they might, you know, catch it in a, in a lunge position, 
there's going to be natural inherent variability in that. So we try to do it as much as we can. Um, it is, you know, I'd love to probably, we do every like three to four weeks typically is, is what we, is what we do from a, a program design standpoint, but we'll change the reps, the sets, the intent one week, for example, for squats might be uh, a three second eccentric one next week might be five second eccentric. So we, we vary it up quite a bit. And then what about helping volleyball players hit harder? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's uh easy that's one. A, Come on. That's easy. an easy one. <laughs> that's a, so I've I've thought about this quite a bit because it's such a unique action. If you look at other rotational sports, their feet are on the ground, they're ground-based movements. So not being connected to the ground when you're up in the air changes thing quite a bit. Changes it quite a bit. The mechanics of the swing, and you guys feel free to, you know jump in and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but from working with baseball players or cross players, like it tends to be a little bit more of an extension base where they're extending their spine a little bit more. So that's one thing. The first thing I look at is, is when an athlete comes in, we'll, we'll assess their T spine to see you know how they moving. Like if they have a really stiff and rigid spine, they're probably not going to get the adequate range of motion to probably be a great hitter. That, that that's one of the ways I look at it. The other thing that, I think we, you know, and this goes back to the problem of, of over-constraining your athletes. I'll see hitters and you can tell that they've been taught to do a certain way and they're very stiff. It's very, so the arm and the thoracic spine kind of travels in the same, at the same rate when we actually want it to be more of like a, a whip and get what we well, baseball players would call like a layback where we are extending that arm, you're externally rotating um, the shoulder. And so for us, we want to look at that to see if they even have that. We've messed around with some different throws we'll try to do it with them because you know in baseball there's throwing programs like driveline is the best known throwing program so we do have weighted balls i have used that before mm -hmm. um i try to put them in positions where maybe their legs are not part of the equation so if they are throwing it's maybe from a from a, a tall kneeling position so both knees on the ground um different different arm slots have them change it up um that has been some of the ways that we've tried Obviously, just having them get stronger and building up physical capacities is a help. But I think it's just a really interesting kind of equation. The other, the other thing that's interesting to me is the ball is being set. So there's contact. Baseball, you're letting go of something. You know, mm -hmm. lacrosse, you're letting go of something. So it's really unlike any other rotational sport that I can think of. Uh, but, but those are some of the ways that we've approached it and with some pretty good results, I think. So stuff to say entirely though. Yeah. That seems like the, the benefit of something like, like the driveline plyo ball stuff is the ball is in their hand, you know, so something heavier or something lighter is probably maybe changing some of your movement or influencing mm -hmm. something different where, you know, if we use a heavier ball or lighter ball, we barely touch it. <laughs> maybe yeah. just cause you know, you're about to hit something heavier. Maybe it changes it. Um, but yeah, that seems like the, the, the challenge to figure out, and then, of course, like you said, in the air. But that was a really good idea what you said with some of the throwing programs to try to um, remove some of the lower body. Um, so, yeah, you got me thinking. Yeah, it's 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 tricky uh, because, like, again, it's, it's such a unique movement. And I think going back to what we do from a weight room standpoint, I think a lot of it, too, like, if the best way to learn to hit harder is to hit, like, what can we do to prevent them from overtraining? What can we yeah. do to prevent them from, 
you know, cause the other thing, if you look at back to practice design, you can learn how to hit, but if you go into high school, if you're a, a, a female volleyball player and you touch 10 feet, you're just used to hitting over people. What happens in college when that solution is no longer available to you, where you can't just yeah. jump over everybody because the middle blockers are six, three. So I think that's where as a coach, having them learn how to be quote unquote hitters or hit the ball, maybe not harder, but more effectively is having them face varying conditions. If you know you work with an athlete that's great in high school, maybe have them work against a, a middle blocker that's a little bit taller or maybe adjust it so they have to find a new solution and hit around the blocker or find some open other open space. So that's something to consider too, just from a coaching standpoint, if you're trying to develop a better hitter. Yeah. I feel like the other big challenge just staying on this topic is baseball, it's a controlled space and they measure everything. You know, you're getting this mile per hour and, you know, spin rate, all that stuff, but just miles per hour. And so it, it you know, it creates this culture of, I want to throw a little faster <laughs> and mm -hmm. I'm getting direct feedback if I am or I'm not. And then you can even, you know, with a live hitter, you can get the mile per hour feedback where for volleyball, I've been trying to figure out how to do it more, but you know, the set could be so variable to different locations. If you're trying to make it game, like it's hard to set up some sort of, and we probably don't have the, the funds that baseball has, but it, it seems like if we had more often, like after every swing, some sort of feedback, like, Oh, that was, you know, 45 miles per hour. Um, that that would you know create this culture of I want to figure out how to hit it harder. Yeah, no, that's a, that's that's a great point. I think feedback is is very useful. We that's how we use um like a jump mat a lot for for plyometrics right. um because right. it just you jump twenty four inches that that rep um you jump twenty three inches the next just basically kind of to kind of coax a little bit more output out of them. Yeah, yeah. So something we want to get on. Okay, so the last one we had was moving better and. You know, I'm I'm more in the beach world and there's more court to cover, more area to move. But I think indoors too, um, you know, agility and uh, obviously in context and moving quickly is important. Uh, we're not going to go a long way, but but uh, covering a little ground in a, in a quick way is important. So how have you find it, it's helpful to train out on ideas like quick reflexes and agility with a volleyball context? Uh, so I think that as a coach, you have to understand your setting, like how, how representative can you get right from an agility specific standpoint? So for us, right, there's always going to be somewhat of a limitation, right? We have a, it's turf for one. So different surface, right? We don't necessarily have a, a, a net to throw up there at all times to, to do things, but there's certain elements and aspects that we can incorporate in our agility. Um, you know, kind of think of like, I don't know if you've heard of donor, donor sports, right. but yeah. So, you know, the donor sport aspect where you're basically developing activities where there are certain affordances present that transfer across multiple sports. Like if they're interacting, but yeah, there you go. Pickleball. Yeah. If <laughs> there's interactions with a teammate, um, if there's interactions with ball flight information, that's a lot of the stuff that we'll design. So that could maybe even um, be helpful for a basketball player mm. or even a football player, any sport where there is ball flight information or the um, athletes have to explore different arm slots to try to throw it into a target. So we do a lot of things like that um, to try to allow them to, you know, hopefully actualize on different affordances that they might see um, during, during a game or at the very least, it expands their their toolbox. It expands their ability to become more adaptable. So that's one of the big ways that we, you know, address agility in our setting. Sounds way more fun than running around cones. We, yeah. uh, we, uh, the kind of the, some of the pioneers from volleyball came from an informational processing background. And we actually just rebroadcast, uh, 
uh, episode with Carl McGowan, who had his PhD in motor learning and, and worked along Dr. Schmidt. And a lot of the foundation of that was, you know, it's, it's specific, like throwing a javelin doesn't transfer to spiking a volleyball because you have this motor program. Um, so it's, it, that's been a, a slow change for me to adopt like, oh yeah, they're actually, it's not so specific. There's some things that are general and things that can transfer from other sports. And um, so, yeah, I've been adopting that more and with our athletes, we've been giving them, challenging them to discover a donor sport in the off season. And it's, it's been great. I, I think that's, I think that's great. I, I, I try, try to get our athletes to go on a hike because I'm like, right. go on a hike. There, there's so much variability and, and every step is a little bit different and, and your ankle is going to move in ways. Like I, I really feel strongly that if more volleyball players like did hikes, mm. I think you'd probably see more resilient ankles because that's a, that's a big concern is like getting rolled, like someone landing on your foot or someone going under the net. That's how a lot of ankle sprains happen. But I really feel like that would be like one of the best things that you could do. And so, and and another thing is to think about like, if they are playing their sports so much, it can be a benefit to explore other ways to move. Um, Because again, like the body likes variability, like humans like variability. And so doing the same thing over and over again is is probably going to more likely to injury than, than having a varied approach. And then what do you think about more traditional weight room exercises like squats and cleans and pull-ups and bench uh, for volleyball athletes? So we utilize those as well. Um, I do think that sometimes coaches fall in love with a certain tool and it becomes the only tool that they use. Like I'm not, I have no allegiance to any sort of exercise as long as it helps our athletes. So Olympic lifting for, for an example is something that I like. But I think if you're a coach and you have eight sessions with a kid, how many sessions do you want to spend teaching them how to Olympic lift? Like, what is the uh, end game here? If the end game here is to make them, you know, improve force production, well, can you do like a weighted jump or something like that? Um, so we we utilize your traditional lifts, your squats, your de- your um, hex bar deadlifts, things like that. We just don't always utilize them, right? We have a, a lot of variability, so it's it's, it's basically a um, the best of both worlds this is what we try to do. So we do utilize them just depending on where they're at in their season, context of their sport, things like that. So I had one a question here that's just specific just for me so everyone else can tune out. But <laughs> So with my, uh, my college team in the past, we would train three days a week for an hour, uh, usually post-practice. And then this year we tried for the first time going five days a week for 30 minutes. And obviously it matters what we're doing in those, but you know, for a college season, is there one that seems more appealing, I guess, basically doing a little each day or doing a lot uh, more spread out? So, yeah, I, I like the idea of a micro dosing, um, setting it up because I, I think that, I think there's, there's a lot of benefits to it. I think one of it is that the athletes are, are ready to go, especially if you do it before practice, like they're right. ready to go, ready to perform as a coach. You can now just pretty much get into your, whatever you had planned, right? You don't have to worry about the 15 minutes of, of warming up. So I, I like that idea. I think that that likely is going to be a little bit more engaging doing a quick 30 minutes and getting him out of there versus an hour. I think during a season can be a little bit, a little bit tough. I think preseason, you know, you probably want to have a little bit of a longer workout if you're trying to build these capacities, like um, get him gain weight, right. For hypertrophy, uh, improving power, right. If you, if you doing uh, five sets of three on a, on a squat, 30 minutes might not be enough. That might be the only lift you get done. Um, so I like it for, for in-season training. Um, there's probably a resiliency that you can build up to, right? They're training various muscle groups pretty often. 
So I, I like that um, for, from um, in-season training perspective. Cool. And then lastly, uh, what have you observed are the most important qualities of an effective strength coach? Oh, that's a great question. I think knowledge of your athletes and knowledge of your sport is probably the two, two of the three biggest one. I think the third one would be checking the ego because I think it's very easily to conflate our jobs as strength coaches as like, oh, like, like I, I don't like certain terms like, oh, I, I fix this athlete or, um, you know, basically taking credit for it because I think what we are as coaches are really guides. And so I think that takes a little bit of, you know, checking the ego at the door, understanding that maybe you're just a piece of the puzzle. You're understanding that you can relate to each athlete individually and that they have input and it's often valuable, you know? So I think those would be the three biggest um, important categories, just really understanding the sport, understanding your athletes, and then being able to put yourself really in, in the back seat and the athlete in the driver's seat. I'm I'm impressed by how well you understand volleyball. What did you do to to dive in, and what have you done to? I guess you know you're covering a lot of sports. It seems like so hard as a strength coach when you have so many different disciplines and different sorts of players. How did you, you know, get up on it? Yeah. So I first, I mean, kind of long ago, it was I first started training volleyball players. It was on the boy side, and I didn't know much about it. Uh, you know, I didn't play it growing up. So the first thing is I would go watch practices. I'd watch mm -hmm. games. I'd ask questions. I've, I've watched many, many practices, many, many games. And just having the, the mindset of, of being a learner, I think, mm -hmm. both from coaches and from athletes. I've emailed coaches and asked them, hey, what, what do you look for? What are the qualities you look for in, in an athlete, in a volleyball athlete? So that's how, how I've done it. And then sometimes I'll, I'll mess around and I'll, I'll uh, hit, hit the volleyballs at the athlete, have them hit it at me and and uh i'll get involved i'm like oh wow this is this is a, <laughs> this is pretty challenging so yeah. i think it's just you know getting in there and not being afraid to to sound stupid or to look stupid and and learning from from everybody else nice how's your game uh it you know what if it's spike ball volleyball i don't there know you if you've seen that i yeah. am incredible at spike ball volleyball my, my athletes know that and i talk a lot of crap about it <laughs> if you put me in a like a six on six situation in, in a net it's gonna be it's it might not be so great We'll put you in the corner. Yeah. There we go. Just, just, <laughs> just hide me a little bit. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Uh, it's so cool. I mean, you talked about how important it is to be a learner uh, as a strength coach. And clearly that's, that's what you are as a, as a person. And that's where we're excited to learn from you. It's fun to spend uh, this time and excited uh, to follow along. So for, for the adaptable athlete podcast, which formerly the blueprint, is it a new feed or how do people uh, who are current, you know, hadn't listened before or, or were listening in the past, how do they stay uh, up to date? Well, it's, it's a work in progress. It's, it's, uh, it's something I've never done before, but I'm, it's going to be the same podcast feed. It's just updating some things on the back end. Um, the website will be changing. So we'll be hosted on a different website. It is called the adaptableathlete.com. You will also be able to find it both on, um, the uh that website the emergence website which is emergent movement mvmt.com and then uh the gym that i uh, co-own called ignite performance and that's igniteperformance.net so it will be on hopefully all those places so you guys can tune in uh, we like to have conversations with people such as your, yourself john and other coaches to try to have a a well-rounded dialogue with with people and and different coaches from different sports 
Awesome. Yeah, it's one of my go-tos for sure. So looking forward to keeping up with it. Thanks a lot. This was fun. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. Thanks, guys, for having me on. All right.